This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today we are wrapping up Bad Girls. It's been a good series, and I believe God's been speaking to a lot of us through this over the last few weeks. You know, today I'm obviously, um, I'm not with you because I'm out of town. I'm actually representing our church this weekend as I speak at another church. I'm at Shoreline Church in Destin, Florida. One of our overseers, Eric Parton is the pastor. Eric and Darlene serve uh, really on our board of overseers and help to pastor Amanda and I. And so we've got to go down there and spend some time with them. Uh, our kids love them our, and they love our kids. It's, it's a great time for us to be away. And so I'm so thankful that we have a team that can handle stuff like this and we can go out. And really what happens when we get to do this is that there, there's a level of influence that you guys have helped to create here in Albemarle that gets to extend into other places around the world. And I'm, I'm so thankful to have opportunities like this. Really looking forward to it. Now, today, I, I want to just kind of get this started in just a few minutes. Um, we're really going to get into the heart of this message. But I want to talk about where we've been. Week one, we talked about how God gave identities to men and women. And these identities... Identities are, are different. They're, they're based on, it's not just simple biology. It is God-designed, God-ordained identity. And we saw in the very first week, my wife shared, Amanda did such a good job of showing us how it, those identities played out in the life of Hosea and Gomer. And really God's love on display as Hosea pursued and loved his wife, even in the midst of grief great failure. And then in week two, we, we looked at how do we then navigate having healthy boundaries between um, a, a man and a woman in relationships, because oftentimes, especially in the church world, we, we think, well, you know, the way you're going to do it right is y'all just stay away from each other. But that wasn't exactly how Jesus did it. Jesus showed us that to have healthy relationships, you need healthy boundaries, and you need to have healthy purposes, and those are redemptive purposes. I want to not just be friends, but I'm here to help. I'm, I'm here to help somebody take the next step in their spiritual journey and Maddie Brown that week did such a good job of showing us how Jesus did that with the woman at the well in Samaria and really it was such a great week and then last week for Father's Day we talked about what happens when pride gets in the mix of all of that and and we looked at the story of of Samson and Delilah and Lindsay Tool just did such a good job of sharing about Delilah for that message and we're so thankful now today we're going to go back to where it all started Back to the beginning of the story, where, where it all went wrong. You know, in the beginning, the very beginning, if you've read the Bible, you, you know what I'm talking about. God showed us everything we need. In Genesis 1, look at this, verses 26 and 27. 
The Bible says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them from the very beginning. It says that this was, there were these identities. You can see this from the beginning God intended to give us different identity. And, and there's something that's, that's there. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's embedding this into our hearts. And then, you know, Genesis 2 becomes this zeroed in, this zoomed view of what's happening in creation. And, and, and you see that God created Adam and, and, he, and he put him in this, this garden. And then in verse 18, look at what it says. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. You know, isolation was a problem before sin. And that's what's happening right here. Isolation. Adam is isolated. He's got everything he needs. God's created everything. He's looked over it and said it's good, but he looks at Adam because Adam is alone and he says that's not good. Not all of our problems come from failure. All right? We, we, we like to say that. We like to think about it. So I'm going through this hard time because of what did I do to deserve this, God? But not all of our problems come from failure. Some of them are actually God's designed problem to teach us something. And that's what was happening there. You know, God answered the problem of isolation by giving us each other. By giving us each other. We were made for relationship. We were made for community. We were made to live life together. Eternally existing in three persons, God said, let us make man in our image. God made us for community. And from the very beginning, God had a good plan for us. But we wrecked it. We wrecked it. We we, we could blame them, couldn't we? Oh, it's Adam and Eve, and if they hadn't done... No, listen, God gave Adam a home, a garden, and a job, and all he had was one rule. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be pretty set up for life if that's what God had gave me. I don't have a mortgage payment, I ain't got to worry about my food, and I've got purpose in life. The rules are simple, but I believe God was showing us from the very beginning that as much as we might think in our pride and our arrogance that we could have done it that way, that we couldn't have. You know this story, right? Well, well maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know this story the way you need to. So today we're going to revisit. Actually today... We're going to talk about the OG bad girl, all right, the original bad girl, Eve. And I'm so thankful to get to invite today to the stage my good friend, Jen Barker. I so admire Jen's desire to live out not what we would often say in ministry would be a calling, but to live out her relationship with God. 
You know, I've watched her over the past three or four years as we sit down and, and just talk about life and uh, ministry and family. I've, I've watched her walk through decisions as a, as a wife and as a mom and as somebody who's leading in our church. And, you know, the thing that I've, I've so admired about her is that consistently, over and over and over again, she just keeps going back to, I, I, I want to please God. I, I, I want what I do to honor God. I, I, I know that this is my, my broken tendency, and I don't want to live that out. And what she's going to talk to you about today is, it's not just a story in the Bible. This is remarkably personal to her. And I believe that every person that's here is here for a purpose. So for the next few minutes, I really want you to lock in and listen and receive because God's got a good gift for you in this. Would you do me a favor today? Would you welcome my good friend, Jen Barker, as she's here to share with you? My name is Jen Barker. I am so excited to be here today with you. Um, I have been preparing for this message for a long time, um, just because it's kind of what God has been doing in my heart. Um, and I just, I, I first off want to say I love my church. I love each and every one of you. You know, um, God moved us from Willington to Albemarle back home about five years ago, and we had no idea where we were going to go to church. That was important to us, but thankfully God knew, um, and he has planted us here. I get the opportunity uh, and the privilege to lead our guest experience team, so all of those volunteers that you saw, it, that you came in, um, hopefully they just bled the love of Jesus um, out to you because they love Jesus and they love of serving you. Um, so I get the opportunity to serve them and lead them. Um, and I, I also want to let you know, if you came to see Pastor Kevin today, I am so sorry he's not here. Um, he had left a little message for you all, and maybe probably you won't get to see that, but you could tune in online maybe and, and hear that part. But he has the opportunity this weekend, um, all week, he's been in Florida at one of our overseers, um, and he has the message, he has the opportunity to bring the message there. And so um, we're just really excited that he can be there. But I just want to take a minute to tell you how much I love our pastor. He, um, you know, not only is he an incredible communicator and teacher of the word, but he is also a good friend. Um, and he loves you. He loves me. He loves all of our staff. The most um, important thing to him is to see you tracking with God. And so how many of you know that you need that person? in your life that not only tells you what you want to hear, but also tells you the truth that sometimes you don't want to hear. Um, and Pastor Kevin, because he's my pastor, I've given him the authority um, and the permission in my life to tell me, you know, when things might not be, um, maybe what I'm following is not God. And so um, he does that so graciously. Um, and so I, I just want to thank him for that. He's also helped me write this message. Um, and then there's another person I want to thank today, and that is my husband. I'm not sure if he's in the room, but um, I do not do this normally. And so this has taken a lot of time and a lot of energy. Uh, his name is Brian. He serves here on staff. Um, but he has not only done, you know, dad and husband and work and, and serving, but he's also 
also um, done mom and wife uh, roles for the last couple weeks just to give me space to really process what God um, wanted me to say to you guys today. So, so, so thankful for him. Um, and just so you know, uh, I, I am excited, if you can't already tell. I'm really excited. I feel like I've been drinking from a fire hose. When Kevin asked me to speak on Eve, I was like, the OG, of course. That's going to be easy, right? Because we know the story. Um, But as I started digging in and studying, God really started to show me some things that I didn't know. Um, And he also started pointing out some areas in my life where maybe I wasn't following God's plan and I just needed to confess some things. Um, He's also brought a lot of freedom in my life from what I have studied. So, you know, my challenge to you guys today is to maybe just put aside what you've learned about Eve um, in the past, and you really just open your heart to what God wants to do in your life today. So let's pray. God, we love you. We love the fact that um, that you already knew that the video wasn't going to work. And we uh, love the fact that you were here in this room and that you have brought us all together for a purpose. And so, God, I just ask that you soften our hearts to what you want to do in us um, and through us, God, because I believe that your word will bring freedom and it has the power uh, to do just that. So please, God, and direct us as we lean into what you have today. We're going to get started. Um, We're going to jump right into Genesis 2. But now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's where it all started. The first chapter is actually where God goes through. And we see in six days, he created everything. The earth, the moon, the stars, day, night, animals, birds, fish of the sea, as well as man and woman. So it's just this bird's eye view. Within chapter 2, he actually gets a little bit more detailed into how he created man and woman. So the setting is in the garden, and we're going to start out Genesis 2 and skip around a little bit. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, we're going to stop right there because I want to point something out. In the first chapter of Genesis, when he was creating all the things that I mentioned earlier, he made a point to stop after each thing he created and said it was good. But here, after he created Adam, we see that something wasn't good. Now, don't think it's not. It's Adam. Adam was created in God's image, so he was good. But God knew that something was missing from creation, and it just wasn't good yet. It wasn't complete yet. How many of you know that if it's not good yet, then God's not done? That's so important because I think we can all relate to something in our life that might not be good right now. I mean, maybe you're sitting here and you're dealing with infertility. You know, maybe you've gotten married and you're at the point where we're ready to start a family, all of our ducks in a row, or maybe you want to add to your family, but it's just not happening. Well, I want you to know I've been there. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're waiting on certain friendships. Maybe some people have walked out of your life, or maybe you decided those friends weren't the best friends for me, so I'm just going to 
come away from it for right now and you're waiting on God to replace somebody else, well, I want you to know that I've been there too. Or maybe you're just in a season of transition. You feel like God is stirring something new in your heart and just you're not settled where you're at, but he hasn't given you that next step. Well, I want you to know that I have been there too. And this story, it reminds us that if it's not good, then God is not done. Let's move on. Genesis 2, 19. So the Lord God formed all from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper, helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. We have our first surgery. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed. He was excited about what he saw. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. So you see that when God created woman, he created the solution to Adam's isolation. Now, ladies in the room, I want you to hear that because God did not create your femininity as a problem. He created as a solution. And I think we all need to let that sink in because the culture and the world that we have lived in has told us that being a woman is a burden, that, that our weakness, you know, is not good enough. I've believed it, but an attack on our gender is an attack straight from the enemy because God created it. You see, your identity, my identity, it rests in the fact that God created you differently than man for a purpose. We see in Scripture, in Genesis, that Eve's purpose was to be a helper. You see, before Adam, Adam was, I mean, not Adam, before Eve, Adam was limited by himself. He needed a helper. Now, I looked at that word helper for the last 30 years and thought, Okay, helper. It's like all the traditional roles of a wife, you know, maybe cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, keeping the house, helping with the kids. But no, that's not. God saw that Adam needed something more because helper in the original text, we're going to go back to Hebrew. It actually comes from a word, azar. That's a verb. It means to surround, to protect or to aid. Y'all, this is so cool. Because when God made Eve, what part of the body did he take from Adam? He took the ribs. And what do our ribs do? Our ribs, they surround and protect the two most important organs needed to sustain life, our heart and our lungs. And so physically, you know, our heart, our, the ribs nurture the environment where our heart is, where our, our feelings and our emotions are, and our lungs with, you know, what we exhale, which is what we speak, what we, what we say. But spiritually, the Bible tells us that God actually, that, that the heart actually connects to how we see God in our life, and that the lungs connect to how we worship him what we say about him, 
So you see, our lungs and our heart are so important, and Eve was to nurture those. So let's look a little bit closer to see how, Eve, how God created Eve to be this helper that Adam needed. If, you, if you've got notes today, uh, number one is God created Eve to nurture and strengthen Adam's purpose. You see, in Eve, all of Adam's weaknesses were made strong. And in Adam, all of Eve's weaknesses were made strong. Eve was to be Adam's partner, not a competitor. How many of us spouses in the room sometimes say, well, you're not doing it good enough, or you're not making enough money or I do it this way, I do it better than you, or I've done more around the house than you. No, we weren't designed that way. We're designed to be a partner. And Eve was designed to nurture what God put in Adam's heart. You see, God created Adam to lead his family. And so Eve was there to come alongside him and remind him why his work mattered. Eve was to call out Adam's strength and ability to do the job God gave him. It's really hard to stay focused when you're alone. And God knew that Adam would need somebody there, that when the going got tough, that Eve could support and encourage what he had already designed him to do. Eve was to feel safe and confident in the way that Adam protected her. You know, strength-wise, women are known to not be as strong as men. A lot of times we see this as not good, but God didn't. God said, Adam, protect her. Let her feel confident in her own skin. Eve was made to encourage Adam in his walk in the Lord, and that is so important. Wives, women in the room, we were made to encourage our spouse to stay connected to the one that created him. And here's the thing, it didn't, it didn't stop at Adam because God knew that Eve was going to have kids and friends. And so all of these purposes, she was to use her sphere of influence to, to make sure that they stayed connected with God. And number two, God created Eve to give Adam a legacy. You know, Eve's name literally means to give life. So before Eve, Adam had no legacy. Before Eve, it was just Adam and the animals. And I love what God did. He, it's like he gave him a premarital challenge. He said, all right, Adam, you need a helper. We've determined that. So I'm going to line up all of the animals I created, and I want you to name them. He did that because he knew that in order to name something, you have to study it. You have, to, you have to find out what makes it unique and what makes it helpful. And so Adam's like, there's nobody like me. There's no one with the capacity to think and feel and decide. Nobody to live in relationship with him. But once he created Eve, God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. You know, I think about this in my own life. Um, when, I, when I got married, or before I got married, just to be totally transparent, I wasn't really sure how I felt about motherhood. I mean, bringing a life into this world was scary. Um, I didn't think I was going to be good enough for it. I was also a little selfish. Y'all probably don't understand that at all. But um, as, you know, my mother-in-law told me, you know, Brian loves, he wants to be a dad. 
That's his one thing. And Brian had told me that. That wasn't new news. But he, she told me, she said, you know, when he was five years old, a family member asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, a dad. So, like, this is his dream job, and I'm not really sure if I want to do it. But I took that commitment seriously to be his helper. And, you know, earlier, whenever I said that if it's not good, God's not done, And when I said, maybe you're struggling with infertility, well, I did too. But look at this. Now there are three boys to carry on Brian's legacy. So together, Adam and Eve had everything they do, everything they needed to do what God had called them to do. They had dominion over the garden and everything in it. Now, they did not have dominion over each other because, remember, they were partners. They were co-leaders. And then God gave them this one rule. Let's read on, Genesis 2, 16. God says, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay, doesn't seem too hard to have all of these other trees that I can eat from. We've got everything we need to live and to do what God's called us to do. And the Bible even tells us that they had nothing to hide, nothing to hide between them and nothing to hide from God. In Genesis 2.25, it says that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and felt no shame. And y'all, it was good. But how many of you know that we have an enemy that wants to corrupt what God created as good. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. I don't even want to get out of the shower and look at myself in the mirror naked, much less stand in front of all of creation. But we have an enemy that came to destroy what was good. So let's go back to Scripture because this is where we see Eve go a little bad on us. The serpent was the shrewdest Of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Let's stop right there. Do you hear those four words? Did God really say? Y'all, Satan has loved to plant doubt in our mind to make us question God's commandments and instructions. And you see what he does? He makes her think that God is some restricting God. That's not the case at all because God has already given her so much freedom, so much freedom in the garden. So Genesis 3, 4, it says, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Eve replied, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. That part is a little funny just aside because God didn't say don't touch it. So that's Eve just being a little dramatic, maybe, um, because God told Adam not to eat it. But she goes on and says, don't even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So we see here that Satan is tempting Eve to be like God. Notice he didn't tempt her with rebellion, He tempted her with righteousness to be like God. But from what we've already talked about, we know that that's not who God created Eve to be. She wasn't to be God. She she was to be Adam's helper. 
And so what happens here? Well, Scripture tells us that Eve, she was convinced. She, she saw that tree and how beautiful it was. And then she saw the fruit and how delicious it looked. Sometimes sin looks that way. But then she also saw the wisdom that it would give her. And we all want wisdom, right? You see, being in control was more important than God's plan for her. You know, we read this story and we think, how could you, Eve? I mean, you had one rule and you blew it, right? But guess what? We do too. And now it might not look like a snake in the garden with a piece of fruit, but maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe somebody has hurt you and you forgave them, but it keeps happening. And, and you go to the Lord and you say, I can't do this anymore, God. How many times am I supposed to forgive them? Well, guess what Jesus told us? He said, not seven times, but seven times 70 times. And you think, that just seems too hard. That's too difficult. So you take the plan in your own hands for that relationship and end it, but not even ask God what he wants to do with it. Or maybe it's your money. Y'all, everything is more expensive right now. Four and a half dollars at the pump and food is outrageous. And we're, we're feeling the crunch. We've got three boys at home to feed. So maybe you look at what's going out and the little that's coming in and you think, there's no way I can tithe right now. You know, so you take control of God's provisions and you make your own plan for it. Because you know better, right? Or maybe it's your husband. Maybe he doesn't do things the way you want them to be done. You know, maybe it's parenting the kids or leaving the toilet seat up after he goes to the bathroom. Or maybe it's like me and he doesn't make the bed the right way. I mean, come on. That's a true story. So, um, so instead of talking it out, you start an argument. Because you think, well, let me make them know how important it is to me. When really you just needed to give it to God and have him tell you how to deal with it. You see, we were never meant to be the ones to be in control. Um, God has given me three boys. I just mentioned that. And I, it never ceases to amaze me that I have never had to teach them how to get it wrong. You know, they make mistakes. And ultimately, it's because they think that they know better, Right? Uh, just for instance, a few weeks ago, my, my little, my littlest, my youngest, he is five. His name is Levi. He is so yummy, y'all. He's just this little cute thing, and, um, but he also tries to get on my nerves a little bit. And so um, he has this remote control snake that he got for his birthday. I have no idea why somebody would give a child a remote control snake. But I was taking a break from working. I was on the floor playing with him, and I was laying down. And he continues to take this remote control snake and just jabs it into my leg all the way up. By the time he gets to my waist, I'm, I'm a little mad. I'm like, stop, stop doing that. That's getting on my nerves. Well, he continues, and its wheel gets wrapped around my hair. And y'all, no lie, this happened as I'm preparing to speak on Eve. You can't make that up. I use that for laughs, but what I really want you to see is that we are all a little like Eve. We're all trying to control something. 
And I'm not talking about like an organizational structure control, like, you know, your boss tells you to do something and you don't like the way he told you to do it, so you think he's controlling. No, there are healthy forms of control and systems for that. But I'm talking about the unhealthy kind. You see, the desire to be in control comes from a place of brokenness, not a place of health. You know, maybe you control your husband's way of doing things or your spouse's way of doing things because someone, somewhere in your past, there was a a man or a woman that tried to control you or a parent. And you just think, if I can just control the situation, it won't happen to me. It won't happen again. Or maybe you find yourself controlling your kids because you look back in your past and you, you realize, well, I didn't have anybody there to show me the way, to teach me what I was supposed to do. And so instead, you control every little thing, every little detail of their life instead of helping them find the way. Well, my control comes from a place in my past, too. For those of you that have known me for a while, you may know I have really tried to control my appearance, certain things about my appearance. I mean, I eat healthy now, and I try to work out when I can, but for about 20 years, this was an area of obsession for me. Like, I would do silly, crazy things like weigh myself every day and self-correct when I needed to. I would watch my calories, what I, what I intook, and um, protein and carbs and all the things. Um, and then, you know, I would work out, spend hours in the gym. And if I ate too much the day before, then I would work out harder the next day just to control how I looked. I mean, I even became a fitness instructor after becoming a mom started teaching other moms with their kids how to, how to work out. And really, I did that so that I had the flexibility to stay in control of the way I looked. At the time, I thought I was winning. I'm like, you know, move goals, calorie goals, and mom goals, all wrapped up in three. I am doing it. And I didn't want to control that so that I could be better than somebody or look better. No, this came from a place of fear and real brokenness. It goes all the way back to when I was 12 years old, and I received this letter. You see, when I was 12, somebody sent this letter. The the sender was unknown, and this is what it had to say. Jennifer, you don't know who I am, and I doubt you ever will. I just wanted to let you know that I have been watching you since you were so fat in the fifth grade and lost all that weight over the summer. I do hope you realize you would have never been a cheerleader or as popular as you are now if you were as big as you were. You're scared. You know you are. Scared about becoming fat again. It will happen. Trust me, I've seen your future You are to share this letter with no one. I think that's kind of funny right now. If you tell anyone about this letter, my connection will tell me. And it's signed something, your caretaker. P.S. Tell no one I'm in all of your classes. Y'all, sometimes kids are mean. We know that. But I allowed this 
to cause so much hurt and pain over the years. And what I'm really sad about is that I allowed the person, the unknown person in this letter to tell me who I was more than the God who wrote this letter. You see, all of my obsessive controlling, it finds its origin in this letter and this brokenness. But you know what? We see the same pattern in the garden. Instead of running to God to repent for what they did, they hid. They hid from him. And when God found them, he confronted them. And then what did they do? They played the blame game. Adam said, that woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit. And I ate it. And so God turns to Eve and says, what have you done? And Eve said, well, it was the serpent. He deceived me. He gave me the fruit. And I ate it. And so from here on out and from generations upon generations, everything was broken. And their lives, God warned them, their lives would lead to death. But it didn't happen immediately. Adam would now go through life feeling the burden of providing for his family. That originally was a gift. Now it's a burden. And Eve, the life giver herself, well, she would bring life into this world, but it was going to hurt, and motherhood was going to be painful. And then God said, you know, your desire to be in control, it's not going to go away. It's going to rule over you, but you're never actually going to have control of it. And you know what? It didn't stop there. In Genesis 4, just a chapter later, we see that Adam and Eve, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain, he was uh, a farmer. And Abel, he was a shepherd. And so customary then, just like we breathe our, our tithes and offerings to the Lord, they were to bring their offerings. And so Abel, he brings the perfect offering. But we see in the Bible that Cain just brought some of his offering. And you know what? God didn't accept Cain's offering. It made Cain so mad. He was so jealous of his brother. How could you take his and not mine? And the Lord confronted him and said, you know what, Cain? Just do what's right. Just do what's right. Do what I've called you to do. But Cain didn't. That same desire to control that his mom had, well, he took it in his own hands and killed his brother. If you're a mom and a dad or a dad in the room, I want you to hear me out. I want you to know that I have been praying over you. I have been praying for you. I've been praying over myself and over my husband's life because what we allow to live in us, it won't stop with us. The sin that we allow to grow in us, it doesn't just affect us. It's going to affect our kids and our kids' kids and our grandkids. There's no stopping it. But Romans 6.23 makes it clear. The wages of sin is death. Now, it not, might not be your sin. It might be your parents. But sin came into the garden, and it broke the perfection that was there. But guess what? It doesn't have to be this way. That scripture, it doesn't end in a period. There's a comma. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God sent Jesus to us, his one and only son, because he knew we weren't going to get it right. He sent Jesus to show us a better way. He came, he walked this earth, a sinless life, and we can learn how to live out of control when we look to him. Here's just a few ways that Jesus got it right. Number one in your notes is that Jesus was obedient to the Father. You know, in John 5, we see Jesus talking to some Jewish leaders, and they're mad at him because he, uh, God forbid, he healed someone that couldn't walk on the Sabbath. Now, Jewish law is different than they were very strict. You could not work on the Sabbath. And so um, they, they're confronting him. But Jesus responds And I love the way he responds because he's not afraid. He's so bold. He says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. You see, Jesus is saying that he can't do anything on his own without God showing him. I mean, think about it. Jesus healed a lot of people, didn't he? But he didn't heal all of them. He only healed the ones that his father told him to. He didn't use his power to control or to manipulate or even gain popularity. He was simply obedient to the father. And number two, Jesus was willing to obey even when it hurt. In Hebrews 5, 7, we see while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. You see, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Prayers and pleadings, that's not, the, that's not a good life. He was suffering. He didn't throw in the towel, though, to make it easier, and he, and he could have. He totally could have, but instead, he kept his eyes on the Father, to do the will of the Father. And number three, Jesus chose humility and the cross to win the war over sin. Last week, Lindsay shared some verses from Philippians with us, and and they reign true right here too. Philippians 2, 6 through 9 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Y'all, that's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Because we all have crosses to bear, every single one of us. But maybe instead of putting that cross on somebody else. Maybe you put it to to Jesus because he's the one that has already died for it. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.